You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Wow. What an amazing platform to preach from. You can take your seat, folks. Thanks for uh, uh, the uh, platform, guys. I inspiring time of worship this morning. Margot said a moment ago that... Um, you can't, you can't believe everything that you read in the paper. And you can't believe everything you see on the TV either. But uh, we found that to be very true this week. Wednesday night, we, uh, we flew home from Melbourne and uh, almost didn't fly home from Melbourne because many of you may have heard that the airport had been closed through the day. In fact, we only just flew out and they closed the airport behind us. We were sitting on the tarmac ready to take off and the captain said that uh, there's damage on the runway caused by the water. Uh, we're going to move up a little bit further, redo their calculations and then fly off on a shorter distance. And we did that and straight after we flew out, they closed the airport. So we only just made it. Uh, got to Melbourne, everything went smoothly and then found the airport was closed. We didn't know whether we were going to get home that night. Uh, we only had the clothes on our back. No clean undies, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Um, and so um, we thought we might have had to have stayed in Melbourne for a day or two. And, but anyway, the airport reopened and uh, our flight was due to fl- uh, leave Melbourne at 8pm. And so we got on that, left about half an hour late. It was a smooth flight all the way to Williamtown. But then when we got to Williamtown, it got quite rough. The weather was still quite turbulent. And we're coming into land and it was, uh, it was probably one of the roughest descents that I've ever experienced. And I've flown a few times and... And uh, you could feel a plane being tossed from side to side. You know, you see on the news sometimes you, they show the planes coming in and they're, they're doing it. was like that. And anyway, we're, we're almost on the ground and the pilot just pulled the throttle back and, and took off again. And he said, uh, we're going to have to try another approach. The weather's quite bad. And so it was the same thing coming in. And, um, and eventually he, he pulled the throttle back and took off again. I said to Margot, I said, I bet he doesn't try a third one. They're going to take us to Sydney. And sure enough, they diverted us to Sydney and then bussed us back to Williamtown. From Sydney. Got home at 3 a.m. Thursday morning. Um, but my, my story is this. Somebody has put in the paper, pilot praised for saving the lives of 150 passengers. And someone on the plane who has flown many times uh, had actually uh, made their peace with God and prepared to die. And uh, there were people screaming on the plane and everybody thought this was it. It was nothing like that. It really was nothing like... It was unnerving because we'd been tossed around, but it was nothing like that. In fact, nobody screamed. There were a few gasps. Somebody said, I hope we don't run out of fuel. (laughs) They took us to Sydney. It really wasn't... You can't believe everything you read in the paper and what you see on the news. So don't let reports in the media disturb you or rattle you or concern you you know there's always more to the story I I want to share with you this morning in the time that I've got uh, a message that hopefully will prepare you for our 10-day fast Uh, we're starting our 10-day fast next Monday so Monday morning you rise and uh, I, I want to encourage you as a church to take it as a food fast uh, at least the bare minimum of doing a Daniel fast where you just eat fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds and water 
uh, you cut out all coffee and tea and you cut out meat and you cut out junk food and all that kind of thing. And uh, I'd encourage you to do that as a bare minimum. Some of you might do a juice fast where you just have vegetable juice or fruit juices uh, throughout the 10-day period. But I'd encourage you to treat it as a food fast, more than just, I'm going to fast Facebook. I'm just not convinced you're going to get the breakthrough that you want. I I just can't see Jesus going, you're not going to do Facebook for 10 days? I'm impressed. I've never seen such great faith in Newcastle. I I, I just don't think that's how he's going to view it, if you know what I mean. And um, I mean, if you've got a medical condition, diabetic, I I fully appreciate you've, you've got to be wise and you have to be careful, but you can still do something and sacrifice something. But I, I want to share with you this morning out of Luke's, Luke's gospel and the 10th chapter. And I'm not going to read this whole passage, but just a few verses out of the opening verses of, of Luke chapter 10. And in verse 1, we, I think it's up there on the screen. Uh, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. After these things, the previous chapter, chapter 9, he sent out the 12, the 12 special forces, if you like, the 12 apostles, the 12 that were closest to him. He'd sent them out, gave them authority over demonic entities, gave them power to heal the sick and authorized them to represent him in the world around them. And uh, he then closed chapter nine with a message on the cost of discipleship, where somebody said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, the fox, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you want to follow me, it's going to come at a price. You see, following Jesus will come at a price. I think it was uh, was either A.W. Tozer, was one of those old saints that said, if you're looking for religion to comfort you, don't pick Christianity. Because it's not a comforting religion. Following Jesus comes at a price. There's a prize at the end of paying the price. But it does come at a price. And so he shares with them the cost of discipleship. And then he says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. So 70 other disciples, 70 others that were following him, 70 others that embraced him and that were seeking to build their lives around his teaching. He appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, he said, and this is where Christianity is not a comforting religion. I send you out as lambs among wolves. He's not sending them as wolves amongst lambs. He's sending them as gentle, vulnerable lambs into a world full of ravenous wolves. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because we are lambs. And only serving God and being in a world full of ravenous wolves with the Holy Spirit is the only way we're going to survive. Down to verse 9, he says, Heal the sick wherever you go and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. Then down to verse 16, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now down to verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, you guys did some serious damage to the kingdom of darkness. These 70 disciples were on one of the greatest learning curves of their entire life. 
These 70 disciples were, were experiencing something that they had never experienced before. They, they had received and were now carrying and were now imparting a power that was way beyond their human understanding. They had not experienced anything like this to date. They'd seen Jesus perform miracles. They'd seen Jesus do great things. They'd, they'd seen Jesus uh, uh, you know, it, it break into funeral services, break into homes that were, were uh, housing sick bodies, sick minds, sick hearts. He, they saw Jesus do amazing things, but they were watching him operate in the power. And now all of a sudden, they were carrying and they were imparting this incredible power and they were experiencing a spiritual authority that they had never known to this point in their entire life. They suddenly found themselves performing miracles, something they could not do five minutes before, something they had never known to that point in their life. They suddenly found themselves now breaking chains that to them were totally unbreakable. All of a sudden, there was something on them and flowing through them that when they touched somebody who was a written off case, somebody who was a lost cause, somebody who was put in the hopeless or the too hard basket in life, suddenly they had the power to break in and deal with issues that were, were not able to be dealt with prior to them receiving this authorization from Jesus. Suddenly, they are rapidly restoring both physical and mental health. And suddenly, they were bringing hope to a broken and a hurting and a lost people. It was a power that they had never experienced and had never tasted in their entire life. In fact, it was a power that surprised them. It shocked them. They were amazed. It's almost, it's almost like, like, you know, what was that? It's like a leper. Whoa, look, they're clean. Some, something had happened. And all it was, was Jesus had said, go, I authorize you to do this. They've now found themselves carrying a power they had never known in their entire life before. You know, as I have read over this passage over the last week, and I've been reading it on and off over this last week, I found myself somewhat despondently asking what's missing in the 21st century. Somewhat despondently asking what, what is it that is lacking. No matter how I look at this experience, no matter how I look at this story, no matter which angle I approach it from, they went from powerless to powerful. They were transformed Overnight, into spiritual giants, something came upon them that empowered them to do things they could not previously do. And, and I, I find myself, God, what is it that's lacking? And I, I closed my Bible and I sat and I just began to talk to the Lord. I said, God, we've, we've been doing this for years and we just don't seem to see these things happening in our midst. Now, I, I know about speaking positively. I understand about speaking prophetically. I, I understand about speaking into existence things that are, that are not, speaking as though they are. I, I appreciate that. But I, I said, Lord, this, we've been doing this for too long. It's like we've been speaking things that are not as though they are for too long, and they're still not. 
It's like something, something is lacking. This, you know, we, we say we're fruitful, but, but the evidence all says that really we're not as fruitful as we say we are. We're speaking, I'm successful in Jesus' name, but the reality is our track record isn't as successful as what we say we are. There's something missing. And I, I felt really despondent in my heart. And I, I said, God, what, what is it that's missing? And like that, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, the answer lies in surrender. The answer lies in absolute, unreserved, unconditional surrender. When we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we position ourselves. We're in a posture for that same authority, that same power to come upon us and enable us to actually do what these 70 did. Now, sometimes you can say, oh, well, I wasn't one of the 12. Neither were these guys. These were like us. These were the, we're the 70, if you know what I mean. We weren't one of the 12 special forces in Jesus' team. But, but we are one of the 70. And, and I felt the Lord say to me, it's total surrender. And then I felt him say to me that no one has the authority of Jesus unless Jesus is true their Lord. Emphasis on the word truly. And I, I then found myself uh, again, like David in Psalm 139, just sitting back going, oh God, search me, know me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Are you truly my Lord? Am I really surrendered to you? And of course, I don't think any of us here this morning can honestly say I'm totally 100% absolutely surrendered to Jesus, but I want to be. I want to be because I want the same power and authority on my life to break the chains of oppression, to break the chains of bondage, not only in my own life, but in the lives of those around me so that I too can be his hands and feet. I, I want Jesus to truly be my Lord. I want to be in a place of absolute, unconditional, unreserved surrender so his power can flow through me. You know, you, I've said this to you before. You, you can be in church, but not at all in Christ. You, you can be a regular church goer, but not be an authentic Christ follower. And, and I am absolutely convinced when I, I read the word of God that it's only the authentic Christ follower that can actually have the authority of Jesus operating in their life. It's those that are in Christ, not those that are just in church. But those that are loving him and serving him, seeking his face and are wanting him and, and, and are doing that above all other things in their life, that he is the highest priority in their life. And, and I do believe the reason so much disappointment fills so many hearts in the church today is simply because Jesus is not really, truly Lord of our life. As I reread this passage, Luke chapter 10, I saw three key things. One, these 70 disciples were authorized by Jesus. They were authorized by Jesus. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples. The Lord now chose. The Lord chose 70 others. They were authorized by Jesus. They were given a mandate. They were ordained by him, the son of God himself, the very son of God himself chose the 70 disciples and sent them out and said, go in my name and in my name do these things. He sanctioned what they were doing. And the first thing the Holy Spirit said to me was, are you positioning yourself to hear my voice so that I can tell you when to go, when not to go, what to say, what not to say, when to speak, when not to speak? Are you positioned or are you just doing what you think seems right 
at the time. And I felt the Lord challenging me so much, saying, it's only those who have me truly as their Lord will have my authority and my power truly flowing through their life, truly flowing through their life. The second thing I saw was that they were not just authorized by Jesus, but they were sent by Jesus. He chose the 72 others disciples and sent them ahead in pairs. You know, some people just went, but were not sent. Sometimes we just go when Jesus really is telling us to stay. Sometimes we just up and do when Jesus is saying, no, just sit tight for a little while. Just wait till you hear the clarity of my voice in your life. And then when you hear it and you go on that voice, the authority of God's word in your heart is what will actually not return void, but will produce fruit wherever it is that you go. Are we being sent by Jesus or are we, in the words of judges, doing what seems right in our own eyes? The third thing he showed me was they were obedient to Jesus. So they were authorized by Jesus. In other words, they were given the badge and the gun, if you like. They had the authority of of heaven behind them. I, I could stand in the middle of the street out there and hold up my hand to stop cars. A few probably would stop, but others would go around me. But if I had a blue uniform on with a badge and a gun, they would definitely stop. You know, if I got the power to stop them, not at all. They could run me down, whether I got a blue uniform on or not. But it's the authority of the badge. And you see, that's what happens in the spiritual realm. When Jesus authorized, when Jesus sends, we go with a badge that the devil recognizes. So the third thing was they were obedient to Jesus. They came back. So we, we saw Satan. Just his powers broken. We we saw demons just just go. That it was like they were they were just amazed. And Jesus sat back and he said, "Yeah, I know. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." He gave his approval. Now this passage doesn't say they did exactly what Jesus said, but Jesus gave his approval on their return, which tells me they were obedient to what he said. He said, "You you know you guys you guys haven't seen anything yet. You you keep listening." to my voice, you keep being obedient to my voice, you, you respond to my voice. In other words, you let me be Lord over your life. You let me be in absolute control of your life and, and you haven't seen anything yet. The impossible is, is in front of you and you will see things that are beyond your wildest dreams when Jesus is truly there. See, no one has the authority of Jesus unless Jesus is truly their Lord. Then the Lord reminded me of Acts chapter 19. Paul, Paul is doing amazing miracles. Acts chapter 19 says he was doing incredible miracles, unusual miracles, bizarre miracles. The power of God was just on him and through him everywhere he went. He just, he just had it. He had the gift, if you like. He had the ability. He had the power. He carried an anointing that broke the yokes to the point where even people would take handkerchiefs that were in his pocket and take it somewhere else and lay it on the person and they'd be instantly healed. There was such a power on Paul. But word got out. What, what is it that Paul does? What is it that, that, that Paul says? Like when he prays for the sick, I, I've heard him say in Jesus' name. I've heard, and, and, and sorcerers, Jewish sorcerers began to try and use the name of Jesus as Paul used it in order to get the same result that Paul got. But they didn't get the same result. They got no result. There was no impact. There was no change. There was no breakthrough. There was something missing. What was, what was the missing link? The missing link was Jesus was not truly their Lord. Whereas Jesus was truly Paul's Lord. 
And so wherever he went, he just had the power. He had the, the badge. He had the authority and the, the, uh, the capacity to actually make a difference in somebody's life. And then along comes uh, these seven guys, Skeever's boys. Skeever was a priest. And they came along and they found this guy really obsessed and possessed with all kinds of demonic entities. And they say the most silliest thing anyone could ever say. In the name of Jesus who Paul preaches come out. And they looked back at him and said, Paul, I know. And, and Jesus, I know. Who are you again? Where's your badge? Because the badge is Jesus. It's not, it's not a secret formula. It's not a, a uh, abracadabra. It's not, well, you know, if you just say Jesus, then it'll all work. It, he's got to be on the throne of your heart for his name to actually work in your life, you, you can't just just use it as a as a uh, an incantation of some sort. And these these guys just go, well, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. And they go, well, Paul, we know Jesus, we know, but who are you? And then this guy, one guy, overpowers the seven of them, beats them to a pulp, strips them naked, and they run off down the street trying to get away from this guy. Then then the Lord speaks to me again out of uh, Matthew chapter eight, verses. 5 through 9, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes to another one, come, and he comes, and they just do what uh, they're told, because I am a man under authority. It's interesting. That used to always confuse me. I think, don't you mean you are a man with authority? And you say to that one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes, and Surely that's what you mean. I mean, you're a man under authority, so I say go, and they go. And I say, I just issue the commands because I'm a man under it. No, 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 you're a man with authority. It would always confuse me, but then I got it. When you're under authority, you have authority. And that's what I mean when Jesus is truly your Lord and you are under his authority and he says go and you go and he says come and you come, then you can say to the powers below you, you go and they'll go. But if you're not prepared to do what Jesus tells you to do, if I'm not prepared to, to jump when Jesus says jump, if I'm not prepared to respond when Jesus calls, now, now it might be, oh, well, I haven't heard his voice for a while, no, but his word screams at us, his Bible. You know, we, we, we have to be under the authority. No one has the authority of Jesus unless Jesus is truly their Lord. And this centurion says to Jesus, I too am a man under authority. What he meant by that is, Jesus, I know you too are under authority. In fact, Jesus, you're under the authority of heaven. You're under the authority of all authorities. You, you are under an authority that outweighs any other authority we've ever known or could ever think of. You are under that authority. And because you're under that authority, you don't need to come to my house to heal my servant. Because Jesus said, well, I'll come and heal him. And the guy says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I know who you are. You are the son of God. I have respect for who you are. But listen, I, I too am a man under authority, just like you. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, this one, come, and he comes, just like you are under the authority of heaven, and you say to this devil, go, and he goes, this devil, go, and he, it's, all you have to do, Jesus, is just say the word, and he'll be healed. I hope you're grasping this. It's like the key is the authority comes from being under the authority. 
And when you're under the authority, the authority that you're under can trust you to use that authority and represent that authority biblically, soundly, faithfully, loyally. And when we're like that, you, you see, that's why the Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. We used to say when I first got saved, oh, it's not your ability God wants, it's your availability. You know, it's not even your availability. Because there's a lot of people saying, oh, I'm available, but they, God hasn't got your heart. That's why the Bible says his, his eyes look for people whose heart is completely his, that he might strongly support them. Now, when God is strongly supporting you, you, you can't lose. You just, you just cannot lose. Then, then the Lord reminded me of an even more sobering passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you who do what you think I want done, not what I actually want done. That's what lawlessness is. Lawlessness is without boundaries, without, without direction. You see, uh, if I'm lawless, then I'm not under the authority of Jesus. I'm doing what I think he wants to do. He's talking about safe people here, by the way. He's talking about Pentecostals. He's talking about people who cast out devils, who prophesy. Who, he's talking about people who do it in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches but not people who are truly under the authority of Jesus, who have truly surrendered their life to his oversight so that the power from heaven can truly flow through us because we can be trusted to use that power. A lot of people like the message these days. Let's have a look at that same passage in the message. Have we got it, Neville, in the message? Oh, here we go. This is a good one. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills, I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. You see, according to Romans chapter 11 and verse 29, God's gifts and God's call are never withdrawn. Now, I want you to get something here. I want to show you something. God's gift and God's call are never, will never be withdrawn. There, there will be certain things we can achieve simply because of our gift. There are certain things that we can do simply because God has given us a gift that he will not take back. That's why A.A. Allen, the great evangelist of many years ago, died a drunk while he was still healing the sick. Still running crusades, he would still go and pray for the sick. He would still cast out devils. He had major breakthroughs. He would see cancers drop off. He would see goiters disappear. He would then go home to his hotel room and get drunk. He totally lost his connection with heaven, but there was a gift that he operated out of. That's a scary place to be, to operate out of the gift. There will be certain things we can do that really is like winging our way into the kingdom of heaven, if you can actually do that. But according to the word, you can't. You can't wing your way into the heaven because many will say, but I cast out demons. I, I, I did great things. Yeah, you operated out of your gift. You didn't actually operate under authority. 
your gift enabled you to do certain things in Jesus' name, of course, with, with the appearance of godliness. You know, true power will only come from true posture. It'll only come from true posture, a posture of complete surrender to the will of God. And the will of God is not always the nicest, most comfortable place to be. The will of God can be a very challenging place to be. The will of God for your life might be taking you down a road you actually don't want to go down. Could be dealing with issues within your heart you don't really want to deal with. Could be digging a little deeper into your soul, into the things that perhaps we've buried, we'd rather forget about, we'd rather not go there, we'd rather not deal with. But the Holy Spirit really wants to actually transform us and change us. And as Paul said to, I think it was the Galatian church, I'm like a mother in labor until Christ is fully formed within you. You see, the heart of Jesus is not to get you a power man or a power woman, you know, the, the God's latest man of faith and power. His heart is to get you living and thinking and breathing like Jesus. And then out of that posture of surrender to heaven, his power will just flow naturally. His power will, will happen naturally. You know, the will of God, uh, it, it's not always an easy place to be. I, just think of Habakkuk. He opens his three little chapter book with, God, how long will this happen? How long will this go on in my life? How long will I have to put up with this stuff? God, this is such a hard situation that I'm in at the moment. You, you read the opening verses of Habakkuk, the prophet. He's, he's complaining to God. He's, he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, why is this happening? How long will this keep going on for? God, it's, it's unjust. It's wrong. It's hard. It's difficult. And there's no answer. And he keeps crying out. And then he gets to chapter 2 and says, I'm just going to position myself in the presence of God and wait and see what he says to me. Because he wasn't getting any answers in his ranting and raving. So he positions himself and he waits on God and then God speaks to him. And you know what God says? Oh, about another three days, mate. Just hang in there and you'll get through. It'll be okay. The sun will be shining again and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Just three more days, mate. I could have coped with that. But that's not actually what he said to him. He just, he speaks very clearly. Oh, God, it's you. You're here. Great. Finally, you're going to sort out the problem. You'll sort out the challenge. How long? How, why? The just shall live by faith. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get that. But, but how much longer? The just shall live by faith. What, what are you, you're not going to tell me how long? No, the just shall live by faith. And then he closes his book after his God encounter with though the fig tree doesn't blossom. And there'd be no fruit on the vine, though the, the olive crops fail and the herds and the sheep die in the field or in the stall, though everything around me falls about, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will keep living by faith. You see, Christianity, you want comfort in religion? Don't pick Christianity. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. He will make me as sure-footed as a deer to go through the challenge, to go through the problem, to go through the pain. If you can get that, you will survive anything. Yet if you're anything like me, you kind of want an end to the pain. You want an end to the challenge. You want an end to the journey. You think, God, how much more of this can I take? It's like the just shall live by faith. Just keep trusting. Just keep, keep hanging in there. Just keep doing what you need to do. And the Lord took me to this passage, and I'm going to start landing this thing better than the pilot did last Wednesday night anyway. <laughs> Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 to 21. This is what I want you to get today. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him 
saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he's an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. But yet they already had the power. They already had the authorization. They already had done so many things. They'd already done awesome damage to the kingdom of darkness. And now Jesus answered them, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and move and nothing will be impossible to you. Many of us stop at that point. Okay, the problem is I just need more faith. I don't need a lot because it's only the size of a mustard seed. How, how big is a mustard seed? A mustard seed, you know, that big? No, no, it's even smaller than that. Big as my fingernail, little fingernail. No, it's smaller than that. A mustard seed. Let me show you how big a mustard seed is. That big. A speck of dust. And Jesus said, all you need is that much faith. And you'll, you'll do the impossible. It's like, I thought I had faith. If all I need is a speck of dust, the size of that, of faith, then I mustn't have any faith at all. It's like there's something wrong here. We stop at that point and go, I've got to get more faith. How do I get faith? Read the word more. Read the word more. I've got to get more. If the word, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And, and it's true. And it's all good. It's great. But we stop at this point instead of reading the next verse. The next verse says, however, this kind, this sucker, this demonic entity, this particular ranking evil spirit does not come out except by prayer fasting I find that fascinating so why could we not do it we, 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 we were the devils were subject to us in your name but this, this one wasn't it, well you just lack faith it's like well I thought we had faith I mean the other devils came out you know it's, it's like it would seem to me in my understanding of God's word that some demonic entities are easier to overcome than others it would seem to me that there are levels of ranking power in the kingdom of darkness that opposes Christians, that opposes the church, and some are stronger than others. And it seems to me that there are some demonic entities that even the youngest babe in Christ has the power to overcome. And I have found, not just in my reading of the word, but in my experience in walking with Jesus, that that is actually the case. You see, when I, before I got saved, many of you know I used to smoke 50 cigarettes a day. Two packets of Winfield Reds every day. I, I, was, I was 16 when I started smoking. I only smoked for three years, and I think that's why I was able to you know, recover my health as well as I did. But, but you know, I, I would smoke 50 cigarettes a day, and I smoked for a year 50 cigarettes a day and decided it was really not good for me, so I decided to give up. But you know what? I couldn't. I was addicted. I was hooked on these things. I worked as a boilermaker. Nobody would work with me when I was trying to give up smoking. They'd all say, please have a smoke. You're a, you're a, you're a mongrel to work with. I'd be agitated, I'd be aggressive, I'd be throwing things, I'd get frustrated, I'd toss my hammers and guys would be running for cover. You know, it's like I just wanted a cigarette. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that. That's how I found it. And, and the longest I ever lasted over a two-year period of trying to stop smoking was a week. And it was the most miserable week in my life. So I'd go back to it and, and the addiction just stayed there. Then I gave my life to Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus, something happened inside of me. 
there was an authority came on me. There was a power that was given to me. There was a, it was called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it was like something happened to me. And, and I stood up and I broke the power of smoking, nicotine addiction over my life like that. Now, it was still a journey. I still had cravings, but there was something in me that was just a little bit stronger than the craving, if you know what I mean. But, but I didn't have that before I gave my life to Jesus. So when I gave my life to Jesus as a babe in Christ, there was a certain authority that was put on my life that enabled me to break that little devil. And it's like when you get saved, it's like you are given a spiritual machine gun that you didn't have before. And you can start mowing down those little pesty things that so plagued you for so long that it's like miracles just happen and something breaks in your soul, something breaks in your heart and it sets you free. But, but here's what I believe happens. And I say this out of my understanding of the word of God as well as my own personal experience. Those demons that you just mow down with that spiritual machine gun actually retreat. And you feel free and you feel good. You feel healthy. But, but they don't just run and sit and pitch camp somewhere else. They gather reinforcements. They gather demonic entities that are more powerful than themselves. You know, that's why Jesus taught when he said a demon goes out of a man if it, and, and he cleans the house. If he doesn't fill that house with God, that devil goes and gets seven others more wicked than himself. And comes back and the state of that man is worse than what he was when he just had the one demon. That, that's in the Bible. So what I believe happened when I started to mow those suckers down, they, they went, they retreated. And I, oh, cool, I've got a victory. Oh man, I'm the man of faith and power. I've got the strength. I've got it. I've got the gift. I can overcome anything. But then they come back with spiritual reinforcements in the shape of a tank. And I've all got, just got my machine gun. So what's a machine gun going to do in front of a tank? Nothing. It can't do anything. So in other words, I, I need further equipping. I need more heavenly firepower. And so this, this boy that had this demon, the disciples could not confront this thing. And Jesus said, because you've still only got your machine gun. You need faith to take this one out. But that, that kind of faith only comes by prayer and fasting. This level of power, this level of authority will only come by deeper deeper and more meaningful times in the presence of God and, and with fasting where you actually say, God, I want you more than I want to fill my stomach. I want you more than I want my food. Yet really, it's not a sacrifice to give up Facebook from, well, it might be for some of you. But it is a sacrifice to, to miss a meal. Or two. And, and I want to challenge you. When you take fasting seriously and you, you set your time aside and say, I'm, just, I'm not going to eat that meal. I'm going to actually spend that time in prayer. I'm going to escape. Instead of sitting at the table eating that meal or in front of the TV eating that meal, I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm not going to get anything out of the fridge. I'm actually just going to find a quiet place with my Bible and just pray, God, I really want an increase in spiritual authority so that I can fight the entities that are blocking me from my complete destiny in you. This kind, he says, does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And such increased power is the result. You say, well, Jesus didn't fast before he cast it out. He just went in there and cast it. No, no, remember his six weeks in the wilderness? You see, you don't have to go, oh, this is a big devil. We better go away and fast for a while. 
No, no, no. If you've already done the fasting, if you've already put the deposits in the bank of your heart and your soul, if, you, if you've already put in the hard yards, you see, when you fast, you can actually draw from that over a season of time. And then it's like you think, no, I just need to retreat into another time of prayer and fasting so that I can increase my heavenly firepower so that when the tanks come along, I've got one of them awesome big bazookas that just, I don't know if they use bazookas in the military anymore, you know, the rocket launchers that just take the, the tanks out, that just bust the wheels off. And, you know, it's like, but then the tank, they all escape again and then they come back with, with uh, greater reinforcements. So while they're gathering reinforcements, we need to be gathering our reinforcements. Maybe, and I'm going to close with this, you guys can come back. Just maybe, just maybe, the things that you have struggled with for such a long time can only be broken by serious prayer and fasting. Just, just maybe... You think, I mean, coming to church now for four years, five years, six years, ten years, however long it is, this thing just will not leave me. It just will not. And I, I understand the scriptural precedent that, you know, it's a thorn in the flesh, that maybe the Lord's just saying, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to give you this to keep you humble. But I, I, I honestly think a lot of the things that we struggle with are not really the thorn in the flesh. They're just there because they're stronger than we are. And the only way we can increase our spiritual firepower is through prayer and fasting. Our, our church fast, our 10-day church fast, is about pushing back the forces of darkness over our church and in your personal life and about laying a hold of the destiny that God has for us. I, I really want to encourage you to take this very, very seriously and, and prepare yourself. Like I, I encourage you last, last Sunday, go off the tea and coffee before you start fasting. You know, it, I'm already off the tea and coffee. It's like a, you know, the headaches that I get. We shouldn't drink as much coffee as we do, but we do. And, and uh, I think it's the Christian drug, they call it, coffee. But I've already gone off and the headaches are just starting to ease now. And, and you know, that when the food stops, the headaches won't be such a, a challenge for me. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, I'd encourage you at the bare minimum, do the Daniel fast. If anything, it's, it's going to be a healthy thing for your life. Your body's still a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's time for a cleanse, but don't do it just to lose weight. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you finish the fast, it'll all come back on and more. Fasting is not the way to lose weight. You will lose weight, but it's, if it's not a weight loss plan, believe me, it's not a weight loss plan. It comes back as quick as it goes off. But let me encourage you to prepare your heart. You've got a week to start praying it through. Lord, what, what would you want me to fast? You know, is it sugar? We can't really eat anything because they put sugar in everything these days, don't they? And let me, let me give you this word of warning. When you start your fast, stay away from the television. And the reason why? You'll see every KFC ad. You'll see every McDonald's ad. Darby's Pies will even start advertising. When you start fasting, and I don't think they advertise on TV, but they will. They'll have their dollar pies up there. They might even do them for 50 cents the day you start fasting. Stay away from the TV. Get into the presence of God. Seek the face of God. Amen. Amen. God bless you.